It's Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Because I don't like some fans out there. I can't name the teams, but I just don't like their fans. Um, and so, you know, some of them just try to bait me. And, you know, I'll be writing something on Twitter, and then I'm like, ah, she probably shouldn't say that because I know I'm going to hear about it next day. Because you know, there's spies on Twitter. I'm not going to say where. Yeah, oh, that's, there's a lot of spies on Twitter. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill. All right, here we go. Wednesday, Cofield and Company. Damon back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Adam Hill is here. It is Cofield coming up. Justin Watkins, our legal insider. Voice of reason. He'll be on in the 4 o'clock hours. We're live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Damon, what's going on, buddy? I none much just finished up on the arena with Greg Salerno and uh, Jared Justice. No Doug Douglas today. Felt like I was robbed, as everybody just heard. But uh, yeah, that's how yeah, you know that's what's going on. What was the final score? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. How is this possible? What sort of debate show are we doing here, where the judge doesn't give a final score at the end? We're very into this episode because Demond driving Cofield and Company against Salerno, FM wacky DJ guy who really likes sports. Um, Adam, I mean, what's your call on this where we don't get a final score? I'm kind of let down because I actually listened uh, because I wanted to hear DeMond and destroy Salerno. And uh, then I heard it happen. And then I'm listening at the end and I'm like, oh, how much did he win by? I heard, I swear I heard Jared give you like five of the debates. Did, well, you, do, some of them, did you do 17 or some of them, were, were some debates, but not debates? Some were cut off. I mean, if you're going to do this, you got to have rules. And we got the rules guy here yeah. in Adam Hill. What was, what's, what was that? I was infuriated. And some of them you didn't even need to score because DeMond gave his argument and then Salerno gave his argument and he goes, uh, you know, you're right. I, I give up. He was just wrong. Like He just conceded. And then he somehow wins. Outrageous. This, this is less clear rules than slam ball, which is saying a lot. Which, by the way, what's going on there now? Why are people so concerned about the rules aside from athletic integrity? Can you bet on it? Oh, yeah. Oh, you can? Oh, yeah. Hello. Not everywhere, but... And there's not clear rules for slam ball? Yeah. Like, well, apparently, the refs know them. The, the issue is they just stop the game so much, and I don't think the announcers know the rules because they're you know just regular announcers for football and basketball games and stuff like that, and so they're not explaining anything. Not No the fault of their own. I don't think they know. And then they just all of a sudden give points. So you're playing. It's like, okay, they got three points. I don't know how. I don't know why. And so if you – this was my complaint. As you remember last week after going to a game, I said one issue that they do have in terms of longevity because the highlights are great and the action's great, it's fun. One issue that they have is I don't think anybody understands the rules or what's going on. And as people were watching this weekend, a lot of people were tweeting at uh, Slamball account saying, can anybody explain the rules, please? Like, can somebody please just tell us what the rules are? And the Slamball account was sending back – Things like memes of a very confused guy sweating, like, oh, I don't know. Which, by the way, is absolutely the worst thing to do. Of you course. cannot do that as an official account of a sport. They think it's funny, and I think it's kind of funny, too. Yeah. But, again, there's people betting on this stuff. Hmm. Kind of important. Like, you, a, a lot of people don't understand how – there's a lot of betting stories out there right now, obviously. A lot of people don't understand how serious betting is and how – Hey, we want to embrace betting because Slamball has said this. Right. They said one of the reasons they think it'll work now that it didn't work 20 years ago 
is because you can bet on it. Well, it's a big deal then. So I get wanting to embrace it's betting because it gets people to watch. But then when you get people to watch because of betting, you darn well better have the rules set. By the, did I hear correctly that Cofield and Company, by the way, just starting off here on a Wednesday, we're all over the place. But did I, hear, did I hear correctly that the same group that oversees a lot of sports that busted the Alabama baseball coach gambling scandal open, are, are would they work with Slamble? I think they are. They are. But they don't oh boy. they don't monitor the actual results. They monitor the play. They just monitor the betting habits, the patterns, who's opening accounts and who's using their accounts to bet on certain things. Like they're not they're not into the world of how the outcomes are determined. They're just out into the world of how the bets are made. Uh, until something happens where it's like, hey, we saw this betting pattern, and then we saw this happen. Like we saw a ref betting and then just arbitrarily awarding points. That's where they'd come into play. Did you go to the soccer game last night? Uh, Barcelona and uh, AC Milan looked like a crowd of about, uh, what do you think, 15,000, 20,000? Yeah. They I, reported 39,000. Yeah, I went Sunday. It was a much bigger crowd. Uh, last night, I did what not. What game was that on Sunday? Uh, that was the Dortmund-Manchester United game. Okay. Uh, so I went out there on Sunday. Uh, a bunch of the Raiders players were out there, too. Uh, I thought that was a, you know, obviously a Sunday night is bigger. It's also 6 o'clock. Last night was 8 o'clock. A uh, little bit different. And, uh, you know, if you're a soccer fan, you probably already went to the game Sunday or some of the other games that have been here. And maybe you were soccered out. I know some people that came into town for the game, for sure. Um, but, again, these these are awesome matches to have here, and they're very exciting to have. But you're seeing players play. And last night, they played a fairly representative lineup for a while. But you're seeing so many guys that you've never heard of, so many youth league guys. It's, it's kind of tough. It's, they- it's spring training, and people are like, oh, I guess. It is spring training. Basically, yeah, it's it's okay. their spring training. Their their season starts uh, for most teams in about two weeks. Your fans know this. They do, but they still are like, "Hey, I want to see." And then they put it's just like spring training. You see a guy play an inning or two. So last night, okay. they, you know, they put some guy or Sunday. I'll say uh, Manchester United put their starters in like fifteen minutes to go. It's like, all right, this is cool. You get to see him a little bit, but I, I think people are a little bit disenchanted by you know a lot of guys they've never heard of out on the on the pitch is this something that's changed in these friendlies over no. the years that they play less of the stars now than they used to no but they play in the u.s now oh there's a lot more friendlies a in the lot US. more friendlies in the u.s so soccer fans should know this though yeah like you're probably not it. you're probably not going to see your favorite superstar player or the top lineup for more than a couple of minutes yeah if, you, if at all yeah you should know it but I, th- I think what that does is i think there's a lot of soccer fans that would go to you know if they're doing what five games in vegas or four whatever it is you'd go to all of them but i think now you're like i'll go to one like, I, I want to see it. I want to be there for it. I want to experience it, but I'm probably not going to go to all of them. Like, I think that's where people are. Right. No fights, no brawls. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Positive reports from the game. Bringing people to town. They spend money. So it's good for sure. tourism. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Raiders camp. We haven't had a chance to talk to Adam much since it opened. There's a lot of observations. Nothing groundbreaking. We'll get to Jimmy G a little later. Also, uh, interesting conversations today with Malcolm Kuntz, who's <laughs> certainly battling for uh, his job on the team they're they're trying to bring in a lot of defensive players they're trying to get more competition and the linebacker group seems to me to be filled by a lot of guys who are a little bit undersized um you know former safeties you can tell us about the guys who are the leaders right now in the clubhouse but they are adding bodies so first of all who was the former chief they added and aren't they kicking the tires on another guy who's got a bunch of experience too yeah i don't i don't think that's going to happen though um it doesn't seem like you know today today's uh move was a guy i don't i don't think they're going that direction but darius harris is a guy that they did sign uh from the chiefs who had a pretty significant impact last year i think he started four games for him played in pretty much all of them 
for the Chiefs had a really, really big game against the Raiders. So I'm sure that's where they saw uh, on the radar. Like, okay, 10 tackles, uh, you know, affecting some passes. Like, I, I like this guy. Uh, we'll bring him around. Uh, he's a guy that can play. And I think they're trying to add more athletes, more players uh, to that position. We've talked about it for years that it's been a fairly weak spot. And I know they invested this offseason uh, with, you know, Robert Spillane, who is a guy that they really, really like. Um, he hasn't had a role like this before, so we'll see if he's able to step up and embrace that role. Devon Diablo has kind of been all over the field a little bit, you know, making some plays out there, and they they still like him. Another guy who, as you said, converted uh, defensive back that's playing at linebacker. So I think I think they're just trying to find guys that can play in that position, guys that can be impact players, that can be uh, what the, the the key word that you're hearing from everybody this offseason in this training camp is disruptive. Uh, they want to be disruptive. I know that's just kind of a buzzword, but um, they want to find guys that can just make plays on the ball and. That's what they're trying to find right now. Any anybody that can that can come in and help them in that area, they're looking for. Let's say I'm an average fan, right? And I see Marcus Peters signed. I see the Kansas City linebacker signed. I see them kicking the tires on uh, Jalen Smith, the former Notre yeah. Dame kid who you know had a knee injury and then kind of dropped in the draft, played with the Cowboys, the Giants. Uh, has a connection to Graham. When you mentioned that they're looking for this and that, how do we read signings? at the end of July and early August of potential contributors. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Or is that kind of where the NFL is right now in terms of there's a lot of bodies out there who are bouncing around who should be signed already, but are not. Yes. It's definitely where the NFL is. And I I think, you know, guys, guys that could have signed, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago are waiting to, you know, wait for teams to come into camp and say, Oh, this position isn't looking great. Uh, Who's out there. Who's available. I think, I think that is a strategy of a lot of guys. So, you know, if, if you have not signed in the first wave of free agency um, and then that second wave comes in where they start to fill in some gaps, I, I think you wait it out and, and wait in the training camp. A lot of guys will wait until guys get hurt even uh, where a team really needs somebody. But, yeah, I think there's there's plenty of guys out there that can play. If you look at a list I mean, running backs in particular, if you need a running back, there's some potential pro bowlers out there on the running back market. So Really? Uh, yeah. Who do you think still a pro bowler? Well, Dalvin. Okay. Um, and I mean, Zeke Elliott, I don't think can play at that level anymore, but I mean, you've got guys that can come in and play at a very high level, but Zeke at a 40, 60, Josh Jacobs, if you want to trade for him, uh, Potentially. He's, he's available. Johnny Taylor, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Taylor is available theoretically. Uh, I mean, there's guys that, you know, there's guys all over the place that can actually play and impact teams that waited for an opportunity because they know that it's going to pop up when teams see what they have on their roster and aren't happy. I love the RJ website. You can find all Adam's stories up there, LVRJ.com. Me too. Um, Your second most trending story is Raiders cut former first rounder. Second biggest story. The whole paper. Bigger than any news item. Well, the biggest story right now, I think, is Raiders signed quarterback. It is Raiders signed quarterback. We'll we'll get to that. We're we're teasing both. No, but I know. Second biggest. These are massive stories that are generating big traffic. Who's the first rounder they cut? OJ Howard. Former first round pick. Tight end. Do you guys race to write these stories up? No. Okay. OJ Howard, we knew would be at risk. Uh, he w- was he signed before Michael Mayer was drafted? Yeah. They have both. They had both of the tight ends in full in the full, yeah. right? Yep. Okay. So what does that mean for OJ Howard? What happened? Uh, it sounds like he, a lot of times if a veteran gets released early in camp, it's because the team and the player kind of sat down and said, "Okay, it's probably not going to happen." Um, we don't, especially now with you know, the later cut date where before you would have, you know, four, I think it was four cut dates before that they had. Uh, and then you would, you know, cut down the roster and you might see this at the first or second cut where you talk to a veteran and say, Hey, probably not going to keep you around. Would you rather be cut now so you can find a place to go or do you want to kind of stick it out and continue to get work in? Uh, it sounds like that might've been the case here of, 
hey, we don't foresee you necessarily making this team. Let's get a head start on the market. Go ahead and cut you. Let you find where you want to go instead of keeping you around, keeping your hopes up. And we know we're not, we're not going to keep you on the team. All right. So Howard's gone. We'll talk about Michael Mayer a little later on. I know uh, Vinny was writing some good stuff about Michael Mayer getting uh, kind of tested, kind of tested early oh, yeah. in camp. Uh, quarterback. So you've got Jimmy G, who's had a couple of days of rest uh, mixed in here. You've got Aiden O'Connell, the fourth round pick. Uh, Hoyer spoke a little bit today. Is there a need for a fourth quarterback? Because now they have one. Uh, I would I would think a need, not necessarily, especially if you're talking about the season. Um, but I would imagine that Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing a whole lot in the preseason. Uh, I'd imagine that Hoyer probably isn't going to play a whole lot in the preseason. Uh, I would expect that Chase Garbers, who has been resigned <laughs> and brought, brought back in the mix, he's going to be playing a lot. Will be the quarterback for the entire third game. I would yeah. imagine. Uh, and you know, Ooh. probably a lot of Aiden O'Connell in the first first two. It's a good opportunity for Garbers, right? He's been around yeah. the league. Been I, don't around the how, team. I don't know how fond they are of him long term, but if they're willing to hand over, I mean, it is it's it's, it's quarterback. It is an important position. It's not like hey, we're just look. I I know they play backup, so you got to have someone uh, you know steering the ship who's somewhat qualified to do so. Especially think about it if you're a receiver or an offensive lineman, um, a running back, but especially offensive lineman and receiver, you're like. Okay, can we have a real quarterback? Because I need to show off my skills. Can you get me the ball so I can make the team potentially? Sure. Or, hey, is he going to get the ball out? Is the release decent? Is he just going to freaking hold it? Is he going to make me look like an ass on the offensive line because he's getting sacked? Yeah, I don't think Chase Garber is ever going to be a starting quarterback in the league, but he's a capable, as you, you're referencing, uh, not just somebody off the street. Like, he's been in the system. He understands it. And, look, there's been absolutely 100% has been drills where he's been the best quarterback on the team. There's what? no question. Really? Why? What are I you mean, saying? I think any time that you've got four quarterbacks, they're all going to take turns being the best quarterback in a drill for yeah. sure. But there's times where you're like, oh, all right, who threw that? Oh, Chase. Okay. Oh, nice. Good throw. Like, he's he's capable. So this is a tremendous opportunity for him. If he doesn't stick with the Raiders, he can latch on somewhere else. Sure. He'll be able to, I'm sure, play, like I said, a lot of the third preseason game and put, him, put some more work on tape. So, like I said, I check the RJ all the time. So I see what the traffic looks like. I don't get your numbers, but I can see, hey, if a number story is number one, looking right? At right now. Uh, I also saw Chase Garber's release was a top story. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see a feature on Chase Garber's, but built around this. We always, Adam basically, he, as we said yesterday, he uses us as a, a sounding board, right? And he can try out his material and then write something along the same lines. Like you did that for a while with your Josh Jacobs and. Uh, leave Josh alone in the best. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Chris Cropper. What, what sure. his name was um, screaming. He was the he was the inspiration for the headline. Yes. Uh, so uh, you wrote that story after uh, we talked about it a couple times on the air. Uh, don't mind that. You have permission. Um, on Garbers, you know what I think would be a really interesting feature built around Garbers. I'm just throwing this at you. the The role of the three or four quarterback on a roster and why some guys can have 10, 12 year careers and really never sniff the field, but make a good living for 10 or 12 years. Like what goes into that and who gets to keep those roles? Cause we know we've seen tons of talented quarterbacks really flame out after, uh, you know, two or three years. And you see guys who are like 36 and you're like, wait, he's in year 15. He never plays. He's been a two or three his whole career. What does it take? You think guys named Chase that do that? Cause I'm thinking of Chase Daniel right off the top of my head. Chase Daniel's a great one. And yeah. so is uh, clipboard Jesus. Remember Whitehurst? Sure. So, by the way, so is Brian Hoyer. And you're right. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. See what we do here, Damon? We're helping Adam out with ideas because, he, you know, he's 
He's so busy. Yeah, this is that, a good one. That, that story is not already on my uh, on my budget list. Oh, you already had it on there? Of course. We don't get to talk to them. The locker rooms aren't open in training I'll camp, stop. so you'll get a chance to talk to him eventually. If you, no, he'll probably if, be cut by the time we're in the locker if room. If you, you're, you're, you're the Nevada Sports Writer of the Year. If you ask Raiders Brass, the the PR people, hey, I got to talk to, got to get extend a conversation with Hoyer and Chase. Yeah. they'll do it. Yeah. What? What's wrong with you? We finally got Hoyer today. You did. He was asked. So he was asked for like ten times. Okay. Well, you got him. <laughs> finally got him. So now the piece is coming together. Sure. Look forward to this in the RJ. I'm guaranteeing it's going to happen. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, coming up, a lot more Raiders updates, including uh, we mentioned Malcolm Kuntz and his position on the roster. But we got to get back to something we hit on yesterday. I was waiting for this one. The great soccer defender on this show is Adam Hill, and he needs his say on Carly Lloyd. And what is going on with this women's soccer team in the World Cup? Ugh. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Lots of football, both soccer and NFL. College football coming up a little later, too, with Caleb Herring, one of our football insiders. Back on Wednesdays, his uh, weekly sh- uh, spot will be on Wednesdays. Justin Watkins coming up after 4 o'clock. All right. Well, let's go at it. I have no idea what you're going to say on this one, but generally you're a big soccer defender. I hate soccer culture, which is be conservative and play for draws and be safe. Um, You will back it. We've got this uh, mini controversy with the play of the women's team in the World Cup. Former women's team member Carly Lloyd after a game that was lackluster and they almost lost a freaking game in which would have been the biggest upset against the U.S. women's soccer team in, I don't know, 100 years. I already have a problem. So. Yeah. Uh, fire away. Go ahead and defend <laughs> soccer like you usually do. No, I'm going to defend that because I, I was getting so annoyed on the broadcast when they kept saying, this would be the biggest upset in the history. Like, No, it wouldn't. There's odds that tell us what what's, the biggest what's, upset is. What's are. the biggest upset? Uh, I promise you there's a bigger one than minus 375 that's happened. I, I don't have to go look. I just know there is. That's what, not even that astronomical of a number. What's the biggest upset? Let's get the number. To, to frame the topic, when's the last time they were upset at minus 375? No, but it wasn't about the women's soccer team. It was about in the history well, that's stupid. of I'm, women's I, soccer. I, right. I led into it by saying right. for them. Right, but I'm saying for them, I'm it would have been a devastating upset. Of course. And the fact that they didn't wouldn't make it out of the play-in stage of course. would be outrageous. And then after the game, they're taking pictures and celebrating. And again, we're going to apply what we do to the men to the women, because the women deserve the coverage like this. I'm telling you, if a team barely skated by, a defending champion, a favorite in any other sport, barely skated by and got out of, we'll call it a series, and they were doing champagne and celebrating, they would get slaughtered. Well, I also, I, I, first of all, I didn't see that. So she, she's talking, I saw players that were looked to be furious at their performance, who then were t- like, the other team was like, hey, can we get a picture? I'm like, yeah. Like smiling, and then oh, what are they doing? like? I saw Megan Rapinoe like were... and, and Alex Morgan in the shot where they look real happy. Which of all the players, they should be like, there are standards here. Yeah. Get back in the locker room. Stop smiling. I agree. I I thought they looked angry after the game. That that was that was what I saw after the game, and that's what they should be. They played pretty bad. Now, I don't understand. I was texting during the game with you. I don't understand Portugal. That is the soccer culture that you're talking about. Of we need to win. We're playing for a draw because that would be awesome to draw the. What are you doing? You're getting you're getting sucked into what they're doing, right. which uh, overall is soccer culture, and I know it's a great sport, and the, the world loves it. Give me Carly Lloyd here as she gets on her former teammates, a lot of her former teammates, 
These are not the images we should be expecting to see from a team that survived Portugal and survived to get to the round of 16. What the? I, I appreciate them taking care of the fans, but let me tell you, Carly Lloyd's butt would be back in the locker room kicking things, I have, throwing things. I have never witnessed, and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk, I have never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You were lucky to not be going home right now. Yeah, again, I, I, they said it themselves. I, okay. It's the fact, like they were angry, walking off the field. Well, you're, you're frustrated. denying the fact that what everyone else saw were images of happiness. Right. It wasn't but, just. But they the said fans. it there. Yes, it, it was. was. No, it wasn't. That's, I'm telling you, I, I watched it. So did I. Well, you weren't. I saw anger, then. anger, anger. Oh, here's fans. Let's be happy with the fans. And then, and then still anger in the, in the back. Like, that's what it looked like to me. That's so what I was seeing. What's the problem with Carly Lloyd? Because Damon had, uh, he had a problem with her yesterday. I think what she did was great. That's what we need from analysts. What she saw was abhorrent, and she called it out, and she wasn't afraid to get after former teammates. What's the issue? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I didn't think it was important, and I also think it's, hey, when I played and we were playing against people who had never stepped on a soccer field before, we beat them 8 nothing, and we we stepped on their throat. Okay, it's not the same anymore. This is not the same sport that you played, and you should know that, and you should acknowledge that, and you should be like, hey, look, everybody's getting a little bit better. Everybody's playing a little bit better around the world. You're not going to go out and beat everybody 100 and nothing anymore because there's actually teams that can challenge you. And probably acknowledge that at some point instead of, oh, when I played, yeah, you're too old now. You can't play anymore. So three, Sorry, you suck. You're not good enough anymore. So 3 nothing against the Vietnamese, uh, Dutch won 7 nothing, and probably could have won 70 nothing. Yeah, I, and I thought they stopped playing against Vietnam, and I didn't get it. I was like, there is goal differential at some point. Now, I think their theory was, we're just going to go in the next two games. Oh, play it safe. Right. But it was it, but no. It, soccer, I think no. I don't. Culture. I don't think that was safe. I think that was we're not going to embarrass these these this team. Why? That's what I said because I think they just believed they'd win the next two games and they wouldn't have to worry about goal differential. But they did. They. I said in the first game, why are you not trying to go out and score nine goals? Well, you should. A, they got a wake up call and now they're the second choice on a lot of boards. Would you bet them at plus four hundred? No, they should be less. They are not. They are again. Let's not mistake this with pointing out that they are playing terribly right now. Okay. They are playing terribly. I think they know they're playing terribly. That's the part I'm like. I don't understand. The, they're they, they they're celebrating. I didn't I didn't see the celebrating. I, I saw them being like, okay, you guys want to, you guys want to be here and cheer with us. Okay, fine. Let's get back because this sucked. Like that's what it seemed like to me. But I know that they don't. They know they're not playing well. I know that they think they have to figure it out. They do. They haven't been good, and they shouldn't even be the second choice. They should probably be like fifth or sixth right now. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, we're about four minutes away from another qualifier for Lotus Summer Fun. We're giving away eight trips all summer long. Each week is a different trip, so we'll give away, uh, at least qualify someone for the giveaway in less than five minutes. Adam Hill is here, of course, Adam, part of the company, but uh, all over the Raiders beat. He's out there every day. So you're always looking for stories, and we certainly want updates on what's going on with the Raiders on the progress of Jimmy G and if he's going to be healthy and reliable. But bigger than that, the bigger story nationally is Josh Jacobs. Um, I was asking yesterday on the show how everyone feels about Zamir White being groomed as the guy if Josh Jacobs doesn't show up. Uh, McDaniel spoke this morning. What did McDaniels have to say about Zamir White, this is a big story. I mean, you know, young guy, second year, you know, 
just a freaking truck maybe can be a lead back in the National Football League. Yeah, I, I mean, I think at some point that that's kind of what he was referencing and saying, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's hardworking, he's learning, he's doing everything, but um, essentially kind of throwing out maybe an olive branch of saying, you know, Josh Jacobs last year ruined our plans of, you know, having everybody kind of involved and everybody get carries. And he was so good that we couldn't get anybody else involved. And if he's here oh, again, really, he's here. So, so the angle, is, I, the that's angle, my interpretation. No, no, but the angle could be that, hey, we still have some questions here about the rest of our backs because Josh was so good. We didn't get to see a whole lot of them in real situation auditions. That, that is interesting. Yeah, but I think it's more, hey, Josh, come back. We're going to give you the ball a lot. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think oh, is that kind of, kind of an olive branch? Like, hey, of, we don't know if these yeah. guys are ready. We need you. Yeah. Well, uh, not even that. It's just, hey, Josh, if you're worried about your role, it's here for you. It's here for you. Come in. And I don't know if that if that's how they'd actually do it. Uh, if they actually would keep Zamir White from getting carried. Now, the whole thing is, and this is what the this is what teams are trying to do. I think that they would do it. I think they would bring Josh Jacobs in and give him the ball 800 times and protect Zamir White and get two years out of Zamir White on a rookie deal after Josh Jacobs is gone. I mean, that's how teams treat running backs now. That's the that's the blueprint. While you're, you know, until you have to pay a guy a ton of money, you run him into the ground, and then when it's time to pay him money, you go to a younger guy. Like, that seems – I think they might use Josh Jacobs to protect Samir White because that's almost like you like him so much that you're not going to put anywhere and tear on him. Like, that's just that's just how it is now. And so that possibly could be it. But I, I almost just took it as, hey, Josh, uh, if you want the ball, come get it. You can have it. We'll pay you. We'll run you into the ground. Come get it. They'll pay him what? The, the, the offer with the franchise tag? Or can they put in some crazy incentives? Well, they could, but if they're if they're planning on running him into the ground, I don't think you'd put incentives there. Like you don't what do you you're, you're gonna give him the ball. Hey, you're gonna give him the ball four hundred times. Why well, would I mean, you want him to reach it? There's gotta be something on both sides. I mean Olive Branch is actually going, hey, you know what? Uh, rush for twelve hundred yards. By the way, what can be incentivized? Can it just be stats? Yeah, but there's there's some very the, the, rules, the rules are fairly vague in terms of um, how they're managed on the salary cap and whether you know if a if if you give a player hey if you reach seven thousand yards this year we're gonna pay you five million dollars right like that really wouldn't be a thing because uh, the salary cap would work they'd say like well that's not gonna happen so it's not gonna could be part of it if you said you get ten yards then it's gonna be counting against you on the cap it's a whole thing. So could you put in a rush for a thousand yards, score six touchdowns? Each of those is another million dollars. Or is that uh, against the rules? I think you could do that, um, and that would be very obviously doable. Um, right, but then the when, you, but when you start putting in the, you know, a thousand or a million dollars for every touchdown, it gets. Not I think every that gets six touchdowns. I thought Cross. you said million for every touchdown after that. No, 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 no. Yeah, score, score six or more touchdowns. That's a million dollar bonus flat. And rush for over a thousand yards. That's a million dollars. And then we're going to bring you in and uh, give somebody else the goal line carries. Well, <laughs> I mean, you have to operate in good faith, right? Yeah. Now, what uh, Super Agent Malky Kawa says with uh, Jonathan Taylor, let's operate in good faith. He and Ursay going back and forth. By the way, that's quite the duo talking about good faith. It's, it's great. Three six four eleven hundred. It's time to qualify you for the Lotus Summer Fun trip number six. Uh, you are qualified for a four pack of tickets to an Aviators game. Then you qualify for the Big Boy Prize, Big Girl Prize. Uh, this week, it's a trip to New Mexico, hot air balloon trip in Albuquerque, three days in Santa Fe, plus 1700 bucks in spending cash, or just take the cash. Take the trip or take the cash. It's thanks to Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing, G-O-E-T-T-L. It's hard to spell, but they'll keep you cool. 364-1100, Lotus Summer of Fun, Caller 7. Demond's going to hook you up right now. You're going to go to a college president when he has a good deal over here and say, 
Hey, listen, uh, Dr. President of Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, be patient. If we can get enough people to sign up on Apple, then we are going to be great. Well, the bottom line is this, guys. Nobody's signing up on Apple to watch the Pac-12 because it's not, there's nothing to watch once you lose Colorado, UCLA, and USC. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. You know, it's a shame ESPN, especially uh, on Get Up, will not bring in someone who covers the Pacific and Mountain time zones. Now, while Paul Feinbaum is right, the Apple streaming thing with the Pac-12 is a little bit bizarre, and it is a leap of faith by the presidents. The stuff at the end, will you stop friggin' saying that the loss of Colorado makes the Pac-12 unwatchable? That is so stupid. Deion Sanders will last three years, and that program may, may be in a little better position when they go to the Pac-12 and they're going to be there next year. But stop with the Colorado stuff, all right? Please. And I understand it's his role to be Southern guy and bash the Pac-12, but it's it's silly. And I every once in a while, i got to step up for the Pacific time zone and the mountain time zone. Caleb Herring is with us. To say there's nothing out here worth watching, right, Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, Arizona, the history at Stanford, uh, Cal could be good again. The Mountain West has good football programs. Cut it out. No one gives a rat's ass about Kentucky, okay? Or Ole Miss or some of these crap schools that are in last place every year in the SEC or freaking Big Ten with Northwestern and, yes, Rutgers. Every other conference is not great. I'm tired of the freaking bias. I mean, you said it all for both of us. Thanks, Steve. I'm a Pac-12 guy, Pac-10 formerly, but, no, it's it's – it's ridiculous. I think every conference is top heavy. You have your top dogs in every conference, and then you have—I I don't want to say it—but your bottom dwellers that that really aren't the draw. But of course, you understand that's going to happen. But for some reason, the Pac-12 gets slandered the most of, of all the conferences. I think it's just the bias from the dominance of the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 back in the day, um, the SC days where people couldn't knock them off and dethrone them. I think that's still a little bit sour to some people. So any t- any chance. To, to take a jab at the West Coast uh, team is, is there. Colorado is not the major market for the Pac-12, and it never has been. Oregon was a top-10 team last year at one point during the season, making a push for the playoff if things had fallen in the right place. So there's plenty of entertainment. One of the most entertaining brands of football in the last 20 years came from Oregon and originated in Oregon with that tempoed offense. And it's fun, electrifying to watch. People tune in all the time to just watch their jerseys. They're trendsetters in the West Side. So, I mean... To slander the Pac-10 as if there's nothing when USC and UCLA... UCLA's been down for the last 10 years um, in regards to their former glory. So, I mean, yeah, they're great. It's a good program. It's a good draw. But there's still plenty to watch and be entertained by, especially if you're just a fan of college football. And now you've got more of the splintering nonsense because now there's rumors that, well, the Big Ten already approved Washington and Oregon. Now it's about just examining the money situation so that undermines the Pac-12's future even more. Yeah, it, and it's what we we kind of anticipated would happen. And now Oregon and Washington being the teams on the on the board now, the Big Ten trying to get them involved. Um, it's the conferences, everybody except the Pac-12, it seems like, being aggressive in their conversations or at least what narratives they're putting out there about this conference realignment. I mean, it, it, we thought it was just going to be set with UC, USC and UCLA leaving. That was probably the big thing. And then maybe everybody kind of fortifies themselves and, and, and asserts 
their position within conferences and the, the alignment kind of stops there. But because the Pac-12, I'll, I'll say that this is the reason, but because the Pac-12 has been so passive about this, they've been allowing for opportunities for other conferences to get in on the negotiations. And if I'm Oregon and Washington, I'm largely considering taking a maybe little small pay cut for a couple of seasons to get it back on the back end for being a part of the Big Ten. That's, I mean, there's no reason to sit around and wait for whatever the the Pac-12 has. This Apple thing, it, it's 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 an unnecessary pause and passive approach to this whole conference realignment, and they're going to pay the price for it. I, I I can't see a world. I can't imagine that the presidents of of Washington and Oregon aren't looking at the big 10 and saying that might be the, the look for the future based on the way things have gone so far with the PAC 12. Is there a way to save the conference then? I think the only way you can save it is to merge with another conference. And I, I, that, that seems like a, a long shot in some eyes, but I think, uh, you know, the mountain West obviously comes to mind because of the, the regional you know, proximity. Um, but I think you have to do something to the to those lines so because you, you're losing most of your big dogs i think ucla and usc was enough to say we need to do something urgently um but obviously that wasn't enough because that seems like forever ago um that they made that that switch um so now it's about what can you do to salvage it? i think you have to add some major teams and i don't think you do that um by just adding one or two the teams that are available to add right now um, if you're looking at independent schools, maybe BYU and things like that, but I doubt it. You're going to pull them away from their independent deals or Notre Dame or somebody like that. I doubt well, it. You'd and, make that and, move. And BYU's already taken. So BYU's off the table. Um, the right. only way for the, if Oregon and Washington really could leave for the big 10 in the next couple of years, uh, the rest of the schools in the pack, whatever nine need to start getting aggressive, knock down their reservations about, you know, pairing up with schools that aren't great schools. You know, I'm sure Stanford and Cal are concerned about wherever UNLV or New Mexico, or you can name what Fresno, any, but it's about survival. Now you have to push to get to 16 teams or the whole thing is going to fall apart. Yeah. And I think that's, that's you know, what I'll, you really I'll need to in. do. I'll jump Caleb. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I, I think Cal and Stanford are gone too, but I think Cal and Stanford are both in the big 10. So I mean, at that point, you're right, but at least, may, at least maybe then some of the, hey, we're too good for these other schools, at least maybe then that goes away. I don't think Cal and Stanford are the most important schools to that conference, right? So if they do go away, maybe some of this other, some of these other obstacles fall, and that could be what saves them, I think. If, if Cal and Stanford leave and the obstacle of maybe the academic superiority leaves, then yes, that probably could save the rest of the Pac-12 or whatever's left over at that point because that won't be a block like and i agree with that um i don't think at that point um the pac 12 or whatever would be left over at that point would be uh, an amazing thing to be joining i don't think other conferences would look at that situation and say we're going to merge with you i think that scenario would actually leave the rest of the teams that are left over that don't leave to go to the big 10 would leave them fending to find their way into some other conference like the big 12 or the mountain west dare i say just to try to stay alive to find a conference that's still intact if it gets that bad, if Cal and Stanford leave, I would assume that Oregon and Washington have already left as well. So at that point, what do you have left? You're not a conference anymore. Nobody's merging with that. You're basically just being absorbed and taken over by somebody else, uh, i.e. the Mountain West or the Big 12. UNLV players uh, staying on college football report. Tomorrow, uh, camp opens up at the end of the week. Media has some access on Friday. Uh, we had a chance to talk to the cornerbacks coach, Akeem Davis, uh, about his group and also why 
he joined the staff, a guy who's you know pretty fresh out of the NFL, was playing in the NFL up until I think it was 2016. But he mentioned his loyalty to Barry Odom, and he used the term football daddy, and I know you very much latched on to football daddy. I think I'm going to make it my new screen name on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now, uh, football daddy, because I, I get what he's saying. It makes sense. Like there's 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 guys in your life, influential people in your life that are there are very impactful and coaches are one of them, especially college coaches, um, because you spend so much time with them and they do have a duty as a role model. That one shows me that he took the relationship very serious as a player, but two, coach Odom took that relationship very serious as a coach. Um, so that's just an aspect of his coaching style as a head coach where he doesn't look at himself as just a football coach. He's, he has a much bigger responsibility to these people, to these young men outside of just in between the lines. Now, it's great to have a guy that knows football, played football, um, and, and can coach it at a high level. That's one thing. But then to have a guy that makes you a better man, it, it, it also adds some, you know, some, some gist to his messaging, if that makes sense. And, um, I think having former players, which the, the staff now, I, I had to look at it recently. The staff is loaded with former players and a lot of them, a few of them, at least were coached by coach Odom himself. So that shows how deep the connections run and how loyal the people have become to his messaging. And hopefully some of that rubs off on the current players that he's coaching and, and they feel the same way. Caleb Herring's with us, the former UNLV quarterback analyst on the games, also the host of the Barry Odom radio show, which will start up here Wednesday, August 30th. That's a 6P start at 6P every Wednesday at Parkway Tavern, 215 and Flamingo. Uh, Caleb, you know, on game days and also at practice, uh, you know, I'm not exactly in, in great shape, but I do walk around a lot. Um, and I took your advice on camp uh, last week. Anytime I did yard work or went out in the, in the backyard around the pool, I did it barefoot. I walked on rocks. I walked on uh, branches that were all busted up. I walked on concrete. I toughened up my feet. Now, this sounds like a joke, <laughs> but it's actually a thought of yours going into camp that it is something important for players to consider their feet. It, it's, it's so underrated. And I think anybody who's been through camp understands it, that if your feet are soft going into camp, you're going to get blisters and those little nagging things. I think the feet are the most important thing in camp. You're on them all the time. Number one, you're running around on hot turf or whatever the case may be planting, making cuts. You don't want to tear your feet up. So you got to thicken your skin up. And over time, I think over the years, it actually naturally happens. But before camp it's important to me, at least to get your feet right. And it's, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon, but everybody knows the blisters that come during camp, they can put you out for a couple of days or at least, slow you down if you don't have those sewed up correctly. And it's probably one of the most nagging injuries that can really set camp back. So you got to take care of those dogs, man. I, I mean, you got to toughen them up first and then manicure them up at the end because it, it's necessary for camp. Caleb, I've got to ask, can't you just, I want to stay on this topic a little bit here. What's the one thing about camp that people don't realize that college athletes are going through? Oh, it's it's really tough. I think the feet thing is definitely one. I, the, people don't really think that your feet would hurt. Um, a lot of football players have ugly feet because of football, but that's another topic. Uh, but I think that the separation anxiety for a lot of people is something that goes overlooked. I think the physical grind is something that I think gets recognized a lot by people who don't play or haven't played before. Um, but especially at the college level, and if you want to go up to the NFL as well, because they're going through their camps right now as well, you really go into a bubble of isolation um, where your your every hour of every day is consumed with football, um, and it's really like that for most of the season as well until you come up for your air your first bye week. But going into fall camp, it's complete isolation. 
Um, and there's a little bit of separation anxiety, I think, that goes with that, so especially for the younger guys who is their first time really doing a fall camp. Um, that is, I think, an emotional toll that that players go through that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, even when you talk about hard knocks and things like that, that try to give you a peek into camp, um, you don't really get the full gist of how hard it is to be away from your family, your friends and stuff like that for an extended period of time, especially if you've never done it before. Caleb Herring is here with us. All right, let's close on this one. Uh, you're a quarterback. You mostly love quarterbacks. You see the world through the eyes of a quarterback. So what happens when another coach goes after your coach? Do you do what Aaron Rodgers did? Yeah, you walk up on stage and you smack him, right? Like, like I mean, that's essentially what Aaron Rodgers was alluding to, like, keep my coach's name out your mouth. Uh, you, you, you definitely want to defend your guy, uh, especially if you have a personal relationship with him. Um, he's going to be your coach. Obviously, you have a relationship with him. I don't know if I'd go as far as Aaron Rodgers did um, with Sean Payton. Um, and I think Sean Payton, in retaliation, kind of took the high road, which kind of squashed it all with his, with his response to what Aaron said and just saying, no, we're past it. And it's over. It ends at that. But I think Aaron Rodgers stood up for his coach. I think he was right in some ways about what he said and how he responded to Sean Payton. But I, I don't think it was necessary to go questioning Sean Payton's greatness or his accomplishments because of that singular statement. I think what Sean Payton said was kind of what everybody else agreed with, that that Broncos situation was one of the worst um, in the history of the NFL. Um, but it wasn't necessary for Sean Payton to say it. And as, as a quarterback, especially at Aaron Rodgers' pedigree um, and what he's accomplished and what he you know, has, has achieved as far as representation across the league, he has to stand up for his, his coach in that instance. Um, otherwise, it, it could turn into a bigger story than maybe it already was. So I, I think I take the Aaron Rodgers road, maybe not as aggressively, but um, I, I definitely would defend my coach. Caleb, we appreciate it, man. We're up against it, and I will see you later this week uh, at camp, okay? All right, guys. Take care. Make sure you go up on the web. UNLV All Access is the Twitter account to get access to the uh, podcast that we do every single week. Myself and Caleb, we usually feature uh, players and coaches. And this last week, we featured a new coach, and most of the coaches are new. A new coach on the staff, Akeem Davis, who's a young guy, energetic guy, played in the NFL uh, with like seven different teams over the course of three years. And he's got a bunch of cornerbacks to work with and uh, jobs I don't think are going to be handed out. There's some leaders in the clubhouse to start camp, but there's going to be a lot of competition for time on the field, especially when you've got 23 defensive backs in camp. 